Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. All right, all right, all right. Good morning, Grace. All right, listen, see, here's the thing. When I bring energy, I expect energy in return because we feed off each other. You know what I'm saying? So here's what I'm going to need you to do. I know that we're distanced and such, but I need you to look at the neighbor closest to you and say, hey, neighbor, you look good. All right, now I need you to turn to another neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, you were my second choice. Whoops. All right, now that we're away, Grace, how you doing this morning? That's what I'm talking about. Well, my name is Phil Cook. You can call me Phil. Everybody say hi, Phil. Hi, Hi, everybody. It's so good to see you this morning. I love my Grace family. I genuinely do here at Grace. We constantly talk about the idea of family, and we mean it. Um, We don't just say it hypothetically when we get in this room together in the different ministries that are happening every single day here at Grace. We genuinely believe that there's a family going on here, even amidst 2020, even amidst the global pandemic, even amidst all that this year has offered, uh, that we have a really cool family here at Grace, and we hope that you know, love, and experience that as well. I'm going to kick off with a story this morning before I start talking about some good things and some stuff. Uh, and it's about my Christmas tree. We are in the Advent series. How many of you have gotten your tree already? Come on, come on, come on. We got our tree, so I'm just going to tell you about our tree quick. <laughs> oh, guys, this is my life. This is almost every day of my life. We go to get this tree with some friends. We have a yearly tradition where we go. We bring the little ones. We draw, bring them in the sled. You know what I'm saying? Inevitably, a few of them fall out of the sled. Uh, but we're doing it. So I'm just like really, really, really behind because everybody in our group has picked their tree. And I'm feeling indecisive because I love Christmas and it needs to be the perfect tree. It's got to be great. It's got to fit the room just immaculately. And I don't do small trees. I don't do it because that's lame is all get out. If you have a small tree, I'm not calling you lame. I'm just saying your decision was lame. Okay. Okay. So we're walking through this tree farm and I see it. I see the tree. It is full bodied family. It is tall and it is large in every way. My wife, my lovely wife, who just knows way better than me and everything looks at me and says, Phil, that's just way too big for our house. We don't have a big house. I don't know where you live, but I live in a house that that tree won't fit in. I was like, well, we do live together. And I said, and I quote, Babe, just have faith. Just have faith. So I cut this monster down, dude, and it was just, it took forever. I got a full shoulder swole on cutting this thing down. I'm also no, uh, like, axe man. Some of y'all just get it with one hit. I'm not like that. It took me an hour and a half. I got this thing down. Little did I realize I had picked the tree on the furthest side of the entire farm. So I'm dragging like a 3,000-pound tree across this entire lot. I finally get it. We get it up on top of the car. I should have noticed then that it was too big. We got it on top of the car. We get back to the house. Okay. We get in. We start to lift this guy up. Guys, it didn't even hit like a 30-degree angle before it hit the roof. I swear on my life. It was like this, and it was already touching the ceiling. I was like, my Lord, she was right. 
So what I had to do is I had to trim it a whole bunch. So I started cutting this tree down. I'm literally using kitchen shears, people. I'm cutting the tree down. I'm trying to angle it because it looks funny, all right? I'm going to show you a picture, and I just want to be very clear. This was after the first set of trimming, okay? This was after the first set of trimming, okay? So I'd already trimmed a bunch at this point, guys. Finally got it to where it was up, but like this much of the tree is bent behind it, okay? If you look at the width of the tree, it takes up literally 50% of our living room. All right, I'm just going to show you the final product, and I just encourage you to take a peek at the top of the tree, okay? (laughs) I cannot make this stuff up. That is picture evidence that is sitting in my living room right now. It is still the perfect tree. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But I tell you that story for a couple of reasons. One, because it's the Advent season and, and we've been talking about this Advent conspiracy and how we love stuff. And, and I'm going to be honest, I love the Christmas season or whatever. And, and then we just look at things like this and we just realize the vanity of all of it, right? I was so excited about this tree. But I did not realize how much it cost when I cut it down. That would have changed my mind, people. And then we get it up and it turns out to be something like that. You know what I'm saying? But there was one phrase that sticks out from that entire story. And it was when I looked my wife in the eyes and said, just have faith. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about faith. This instance was an instance of misplaced faith on my wife's part. And today we're going to talk about what correctly placed faith might look like. So I'm going to pray for our time uh, and we're going to kick off uh, with a message on faith. So if you would pray with me. Jesus, I just thank you that you're in this room right now. You promise us when two or more are gathered that you're present. And then the next sentence you say that when two or more agree on something, it will be done. So I ask this morning that we could agree as a family that faith in you has the opportunity to change the world. And we want to be people that are a part of that change And we just agree on that in this moment. We agree on that this morning as a family, as a body, those both in the room and those online. We agree that we want that type of faith and we know that only you can give it. So we're here and we want to receive from you, Jesus. And I just pray that what you want to say this morning will be said, that it will be encouraging and challenging, and that it will help us step into what might be next for us in our individual faith walks. We pray all these things and trust that you're going to do it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So we've been going through a series, which is our Advent series, The Weary World Rejoices. Just to kick this off, I think I'm just going to get right to it. The best way that we believe that you can truly be someone who rejoices in a weary world. Anyone want to say 2020 has been weary, amen? That we can be people who rejoice in a weary world is to embrace the faith that God has gifted to us through his son Jesus to live a joy-filled, exciting, impactful, and effective life. And we don't believe without faith you can do that. So today we're going to talk about what it might look like to be people in a weary world rejoicing. There's a meditation that Jeff has put in for this whole series. And it's just a simple sentence talking to God about where we're at. And we're going to say one this morning. I'm going to say it and I'll ask that you say it with me. But it goes as simply as this. God, my faith is in you. My life is in your hands. I had to look. (laughs) My faith is in you. My life is in your hands. So I ask that you say that with me. God, my faith is in you. My life is in your hands. 
So as, as we kick this off, before I start getting to some points, and I really am excited today because I think that some of this is going to be fresh, new, encouraging, and, and then hopefully challenging to you for my fellow brothers and sisters. Um, but I want to give you some statistics. I love my numbers. If you've heard me teach before, if you go to Awaken, you're probably tired of how many numbers I use. If you've heard me up front before, I pretty much go like this. Numbers tell a story. So I'm going to tell you numbers. I'm going to tell you numbers right now. But here's why I tell you the statistics I'm about to tell you. Because I want to paint a picture for us as we kick this off of the fact that there's a difference between what we might just call belief or what we might just call faith in the idea of a God or faith in a God versus faith that makes a difference. Faith that puts on feet and goes and does something. Faith of people who are making change in the world. I think that there's a difference. And I think these numbers will paint that picture for you. So check this out. These are all as of last year, 2019. 23% of Americans go to church weekly. 23% of Americans attend some type of church weekly. 10% attend almost weekly. And 12% attend at least once a month. If you add that up, that's about 45% of Americans that attend church on some level of regularity, whether that's online in 2020 or you actually come to a church. 45%, that's almost half of Americans. So let's do some number crunching on that. That equates to about 147 million Americans who attend some type of church at least once a month. And if you go deeper into those numbers with the 23%, that's 75 million Americans who attend church weekly. 75 million Americans who in some way, shape, or form are in a church pew or a living room pew watching or attending church. 75 million. A couple other statistics. A different study in 2019 by Statista. I don't know if that's how you say it, but they're a big statistics website. Um, found that 68% of Americans identified with some denomination of Christianity. That's a big number. That's almost seven out of every 10. That if you were to ask them, they'd say, well, yeah, I mean, I'm Protestant or I'm Catholic or, or I'm non-denominational or hopefully I just love Jesus, whatever that may look like. And then an even crazier one is that 79% of Americans believe in a God. Seven, eight out of every 10 Americans, if you were to ask them, do you believe in God or a God or something above you, eight out of every 10 would say, yeah. Definitely. There's got to be something. So why do I bring these up? Because a lot of people have some type of belief. A lot of people have some type of faith as we talk about faith today. But, but how about these statistics? Listen to this. There's about 443,000 children in foster care right now. 443,000. I don't know if you would have thought that number was higher or lower. I know when I read it, I was kind of like, wow, that's almost half a million kids in foster care right now. But if we compare that to the 75 million Americans who attend church every Sunday, listen to this. If 0.0059% of weekly church attenders adopted a kid, there would be zero kids in foster care. 0.0059%. That means in this room, it's like two of us. If two of us would adopt a kid right now. I'm not trying to shame you into adopting a kid. That's not what I'm doing here. But let me give you another statistic. Globalgiving.org, which is one of the biggest worldwide giving organizations and websites, estimates that it would take about $130 billion to solve world hunger. Between the different needs of different con countries that they would need to get sustainable, uh, like vegetation and stuff like that, about $130 billion. Obviously, that's a loose estimate. So for my like accountants in the room, don't, it's a, you know, it's just an estimate. $130 billion. Now, again, let's crunch some numbers. If the average median income in America is 68,703. 
Some of you are like, what? I don't make that much. And some of you are like, that's it? I'm going to triple that. Okay. 68,703 is the average median American household income. If each of the 75 million people who went to church on a Sunday didn't give 10%, didn't give 5%, gave 2.5% of their annual income, that would equate to $128 billion solving world hunger. If the 75 million people of faith gave 2.5%, that's nothing. World hunger could hypothetically be solved. Now, I think you're getting the point here. I'm not going to continue crunching numbers. We could. But I think you should see that the point here is there's a clear distinction between faith that believes in a God, faith that gets you into a church pew, versus faith that puts on feet and changes the world. There's clearly a difference between faith that gets you into a church seat and faith that goes out and changes the world. So today, the title of my message is World-Changing Faith. World-Changing Faith. I'd argue today that if we serve an all-good, universe-encompassing and creating God, who loved us so much to come down and die a brutal death on a cross for us, that if we had faith in that, it's going to change everything about us so that we're going to be people of world-changing faith. And we're going to talk today about what I'm going to call the four aspects or four aspects of world-changing faith. There's a lot of things that go into powerful world-changing faith. But today we're going to talk about four aspects of world-changing faith. So the first one's going to come out of John 1.1. 1, 1. Some of you probably know this verse by heart, but if you don't, open up the John 1. And then also for future reference, we're going to be in Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. So if you want to open up to that as well, if you don't have your physical Bible with you, Google Jonah 1, and it'll be on that page, okay? John 1.1, 1, 1, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, one of the writers of the four Gospels, arguably the four most impactful books to ever be written in human history, chooses to start his book, which some would argue of the Gospels, John's the most distinct. John kind of separates itself the most. He chooses to start this Gospel off, the very first sentence with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm going to waste no time. The first aspect of world-changing faith is this. World-changing faith is inseparable from the word of God. World changing faith is inseparable from the word of God, the Bible. I actually wrestled with that word specifically because there was a lot of words I wanted to use. And I was like, like I wanted to use the word tethered. I liked that word a lot. It's tethered to the word of God. I felt like that was like a little sexier. You know what I'm saying? It's tethered. You'd let, but then we we're like, think about tether ball. And I'm like, dude, that's not an attractive visual. Just smacking this ball around a pole. And then I looked at the definition of tether, and it was like an animal tied to a pole. And I was like, we are animals, but like, that's kind of demeaning. So I came up with inseparable. What do I mean by that? If the word was with God and the word was God, here's what I'd argue, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. I'd argue that to know God to the extent that we are supposed to, it is impossible to do without reading, knowing, and loving this book. Now, I think there's probably immediately some people in the room that are like, well, I don't really read the Bible a lot, and you're, I feel like you're attacking me already. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're in this together. I'm, I'm a pastor, and there's like weeks where I'm like, holy moly, I've been in the Bible twice this whole week, and it's like my job to read this book. So there's no condemnation for that, but I think as a family, what we need to do is step in and realize 
that to have a faith to the level that we're supposed to, to have world-changing faith and to know God to the extent, that's the word, the extent that we're supposed to, it's inseparable from knowing, reading, and loving this book. It's a part of our faith that cannot be overstated. There's a lot of ways to experience God. We have God in us, God incarnate. We have the Holy Spirit who speaks to us. We have godly people around us. That's why community is so integral. That's a grace. We'll never stop preaching community. You need it. But the good Lord himself dropped a giant love letter from him to us into our laps. And is like, dude, you, everything you need to know about me is right here. Every way you can grow and know me is right here. My question is, do we utilize it the way that we maybe should? So often, so, so why so often do we seem to think that the Bible is separable from thriving faith? Maybe we never say that out loud. We never say, well, I don't think the Bible is that important, but maybe we treat it that way. Maybe we treat the Bible like the redheaded stepchild of faith. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're not that important, Bible. I'm going to read you once a month, and that's going to be good. But why? Why do maybe sometimes, myself included, go through seasons where we treat the Bible as separable from world-changing faith? I think often it's just that we don't understand what it really is to us. If we knew what this book was to us, we would surely read it 13 times a day. I don't do that. We would surely read it a lot more. Maybe we just don't understand what it is to us. But I think there's aspects of the Bible that whether or not we know it, we run from out of just misunderstanding. We run from because we just haven't maybe been taught correctly how to read through the Bible or maybe the importance of the Bible. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk for a few minutes about what the Bible describes itself as and what that means for us. All right. So I'm going to put up a few scriptures on the screen and break a couple of them down. Three, three things out of many, many, many that the Bible actually describes itself as. The, the living word describes itself, which is kind of crazy. First one, Psalm 19.10, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It describes the word of God as sweeter than honey to my mouth. So the first description we can see, the first depiction of what the word is to us is sweeter than honey. Y'all, honey is delicious. Anybody just like honey? Come on, anybody just right out of the container just... No, not you. Oh, okay, me. Okay, me only. No, I don't do that. But like a good honey and banana sandwich. Oh my gosh. Oh, come on. Hey. Honey is sweet. Honey is good. Honey is enjoyable. Listen, it's a sugary carbohydrate that fills our souls. And I love what the Bible says. It says that man doesn't live on bread alone, right? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God, well, bread's a carbohydrate. How much better is it that honey is the alternative? God's like, you don't just only live on bread. Take this sweet honey. And then somebody give some praise right now. Anybody excited that the honey the Bible gives us is a sugary carbohydrate that doesn't make you fat? Anybody happy about that? Come on, let's give a crack clap of praise right there. Hallelujah. I'll eat that honey all day. Don't sit on keto though, Connor. <laughs> oh man. It's sweeter than honey to our lips. Have we experienced that? Let's do another one. A lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You've probably heard that passage, Psalm 119, 105. So it says it's a light onto our path. Well, we love this, right? This is even better than sweetness of honey. Why? Because we are people who love control. We always want to know what's next. 
We, why do you think the Bible tells us so often to not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow holds its own struggles? Because God knew way ahead of time that we would be really concerned about tomorrow. Really concerned about next week. Really concerned about next month, next year. Well, what's 2021 going to look like? Because 2021 has been a giant, 2020 has been a crap show. What's 2021? And this says that the Bible is a light unto our path. We love that. Because it shows us where we're going. The Bible literally promises if we're in this book and we know it and we love it, he's going to show you that next step. What you really need to know, what you really want to know, he shows it to you step after. It's not a floodlight, y'all. He doesn't just show you the whole picture. That wouldn't be fair. And, and honestly, if he showed you the whole picture, you'd turn and run the other way. So he shows you one step at a time. It's a light into our path. How good is that? Ephesians 6.17 calls it a sword. It's talking about the armor of God, and it says, yield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a sword. Listen, y'all, I love the idea of a sword, if I'm holding it, to be clear. <laughs> you could slash people with it, bad people, you know, specifically the devil, you know what I'm talking about, demons. It's, pr- it's a protection when you have a sword. Honestly, if anything, it's like shiny and looks cool, so you're like majestic looking. And we love the idea of a sword because it, it gives us power. It protects us. It helps us in these hard situations. These are all truths, and this is just obviously touching the surface. These are all truths of how good the Word of God is. And for someone to have world-changing faith, we need to experience these things. We need to understand these things. We need to know and love these things. But here's where I think sometimes we start to go south. Maybe we know these things and we do experience it. Or maybe we know these things and we're kind of wishy-washy, we're in and out. Or maybe if this is completely new to you, wait, the Bible's all of that to me? Well, there's some other things that the Bible talks about, and I don't have verse references for you, but I'll tell you about them. Another thing that the word describes itself as is a fire, and Jeremiah talks about that. Well, we don't like fire as much. I like honey, Phil, sugary carbohydrate that don't make me fat. I like that. Fire, though, fire burns. Fire tears things down. Fire refines. Ooh. And at a bare minimum, fire is uncomfortably hot. I just don't like to be near it unless it's contained in my fireplace. Well, the Bible calls itself that. Or how about another one? It says that it's rain and snow on places of drought. It talks about that in Isaiah. Rain and snow on places of drought. Let me just tell y'all, when I'm driving down Route 83, wait, Interstate, whatever, Interstate 83, and one raindrop falls out of the sky, and the person in front of me goes from 72 to 38. <laughs> ah! Lord! But y'all know what I'm talking about. There is .007 inches of snow on the ground, and no one's driving faster than 20. Oh my gosh, I had a friend from Lake Erie. He's a pastor up there, and if you know Lake Erie, they get dumped bucket loads every, I don't even know how they live. Like, how do they get out of their house? He, he was down here and we were driving to Maryland for something I can't remember. And there was like 17 snowflakes, I swear, in the air. There were 17 total. I counted them. And nobody was moving. Like, the whole road had shut down. I don't even know how it was possible. And I just remember my friend was like, what are they doing? We drive through three feet of snow and there's literally 17 snowflakes. We don't like rain. We don't like snow. Why? It's inconvenient. It's It's uncomfortable. When we're driving and it's raining, we're, we think we're going to die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've done it a couple times. Not good. Not good. Snow. Some of y'all. How many of y'all hate snow? Keep it. Keep it hot. Honestly, I'm transparent. How many of y'all hate snow? Put your hands high. I love snow. I don't like y'all. 
I do really love snow. I really, really do. I bring my daughter out just to pretend that it's for her. Then I play in the snow. But, but we don't like it, man. Like rain, rain ruins stuff. Rain makes us cancel stuff. Rain gets in the way of our plans. And again, at a bare minimum, rain makes you wet and we just love to be dry. It's much more comfortable to be dry. Dude, I spilled a Wawa coffee on me recently. It wasn't even about the $1.19 that I lost. It was about I coffee on me the rest of the day and I was wet. Nobody likes that. But the Bible says that it's rain and snow on places of drought. Do you want to know why we often don't like the rain that faith can bring into our life? Snow that maybe the Bible leads us into? Is because it says that it's on places of drought, and at times we don't even realize we're in drought. So when the rain comes, not only do we not recognize we need it, but we think it's inconvenient. We think it's uncomfortable. So my question as we go into the second point is maybe the reason that, one, we're not yet in love with the Word of God, but two, that we don't feel as if we have world-changing faith, or maybe around you you're not seeing world-changing faith, is because maybe we've equated faith with comfort. Maybe we've equated faith with comfort. And the second point, the second aspect of world-changing faith is that world-changing faith is often uncomfortable. World-changing faith is often uncomfortable. Let me break it down. We're going to get into Jonah 1 now. So if you pulled up Jonah ahead of time or Googled page Jonah 1, there it is. Jonah 1, 1 through 5. We're going to look at the beginning of the story of Jonah, and that's going to lead us in our next two points. But I'll put it up on the screen for you. It says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Stop, pause, uncomfortable. If you knew anything about Nineveh, they weren't doing it right. You know what I'm saying? They were a, it was a band of heathens, basically. And God's like, hey, go tell them to stop doing what they're doing. Uncomfortable. Let's continue. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, relatable, and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Uncomfortable point number two. You're in a, y'all, my number one fear is drowning. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? That's my number one fear. I do not want to do that. You drop me out of a plane. You could burn me alive. I don't want to drown. Well, they're in a storm and the ship's about to fall apart. Uncomfortable. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. I would love just to talk about the fact that so many of us are in storms and we're just dead asleep in it. But that's not the message today. That's for another time. Hallelujah. There's a really hard reality I think we need to learn if we want to grow. And it's that God doesn't exist to make you comfortable. God doesn't exist to make you comfortable. I think so often we equate faith with comfort, and then when things aren't comfortable, we dip. Why? Because whether or not we'd ever say it out loud, we equate faith in Jesus with us living a happy, comfy life. And the minute we don't have happy or comfy, we want out. Does that sound familiar in this world? Do you have people in your circles who the minute something went wrong, they were out? Well, how could God be good if this happened? That phrase means we equate God with comfort. Ever heard that? I've heard it a lot. And maybe it's a valid question, but I think the truth is that God doesn't exist to make us comfortable. But let me be clear about this. God is your comforter. Let me be really clear. God is your comforter. 
God is your perfect reconciliation. God loves your soul deeper than anybody ever could. He's the bringer of peace, joy, and love in your life. He is absolutely all of those things, but in the same breath, like, and worldly comfort cancels calling. Pursuing worldly comfort, wanting what the world brings to make you feel content and happy and fulfilled, I say happy very loosely, cancels often what God has for you. Let's look back at Jonah. Jonah had been called to preach to Nineveh back in literally verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. That's his calling in this instance. And because it was uncomfortable, my man dipped. My man was like, no, that is not what I signed up for. I'm peacing out. And because of his desire for a worldly comfort in this instance, in this moment, I'll say, because we're going to get to the end, he canceled the, God, the calling God had on his life. He didn't want to embrace what God had for him because it was uncomfortable. And when we fight for and pursue this type of comfort, I fear that a lot of times we miss what God has for us. And when a whole bunch of us are missing what God has for us, then the world's missing a lot of what God has for it. Because God calls his people to step up and be those vessels, right? So let me give you a couple of examples. If you're not buying it, you're like, I don't know if God's good. Why don't he make me feel happy? Why don't I can't I have that? Let me give some biblical examples as to the fact that that's just really not ever been a thing. Biblical examples, Jonah, first and foremost, my man, not only y'all did he like dip on the calling because of something that was uncomfortable, but then two verses later, God's like, okay, well then here's a storm to wreck your day. We're not going to get into theology of whether he does that real day. I don't know. Email Jeff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Some other biblical examples. <laughs> like Jeff's in the room. He's like, don't email me. Job. Nothing is comfortable about the story of Job. Have you read that book? I'm itching every page. I'm like, what? What is this even saying? He did what to who and how did it go down? His whole family? Really? Job is uncomfortable, yet God works so mightily through it. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, period. But Abraham and Isaac, can you imagine? How many of y'all got kids? If you got a kid, just throw your hand in the air. If you're ashamed, it's okay. <laughs> okay, you know. It's all right. Still put your hand in the air, loud and proud. If you know the story, God was like, hey, bro, I need you to sacrifice your son. Yeah, like uh, not just the son, the promised son, the son that you waited like 75 years for. Yeah, you got to kill him. And if you read through the passage, my man was right here, like ready for the downward, like, hi You know what I'm saying? And that is when God was like, okay, you, you passed the test. <laughs> Good job. That's uncomfortable. That makes me itch. If God, I have a two-year-old and a baby girl. If God was like, kill one of them, I'm like, I got to find a new God. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just being honest. But Abraham was so full of world-changing faith that he was willing to listen. He was willing to be so uncomfortable. How about another one, Joseph? My man was sold by the people who were supposed to be the closest to him into slavery, in which he served so faith-filled and excellently, even though it was the most uncomfortable of situations. My man got put in jail for being pure. <laughs> like he didn't get with the, the queen or whatever, and then gets put in. That's uncomfortable. But he fought through it and ends up being this amazingly powerful example of God's goodness. How about Paul? My gosh, there's a passage where literally Paul's like, I've been shipwrecked this many times, beaten, whipped, jailed, lashed. None of that's comfortable. None of that looks like sitting on a recliner in front of Netflix. Oh, conviction. 
That's not comfortable. And, and then how about this one? Jesus. Why? Like I say this to me because I'm so bad at this. Why do we expect to live such comfortable, cushy lives when our Savior was murdered on a cross? Ah, like that just hurts me to even say out loud because I know that I expect it. I expect good things to come to me. I expect to spend my time how I want. I expect to get whatever I want, however I want it. When Jesus just forsook everything for us, shouldn't we do it for others? Hopefully you're on board with me that world-changing faith is not often comfortable. And maybe what's it look like for us in this moment to realize that we might pursue comfort in a really unhealthy way. And that's why we might not be growing. But a characteristic of the faith of some of the strongest believers in my life, some of the people who mentor me and walk alongside me and encourage me every single day to try to do this thing better, the most impactful and effective people is that they don't run from discomfort. They don't run from inconvenient things. They see opposition as opportunity. They see chances to grow where other people just run away because it's not easy. They know that interruptions in our plans are usually where God's plans are the most present. Let me say that one more time. They know that interruptions in our plans are usually where God's plans are the most present. Let me just encourage you in this. If you fight tooth and nail every day that your plans would just go exactly how you want, There's not a lot of room for God's plans in that. There's not a lot of room for God's plans in that type of living. And maybe you see people in your life like this, that they walk so strongly and boldly through trying times. And maybe you are that person. And I see some people in the room who I know you are those people. And I'm encouraged by you. But it's due to their understanding, due to your understanding, that faith was never meant to bring you a comfy, easy life. And to equate faith with that is to just be wrong. Because God is your comforter, but is often pushing you to be uncomfortable. So today might be the day you need to realize that your faith feels stagnant. Maybe it's not as impactful as you like it to be. It's not as effective on the people around you. Because every time something hard comes, you run. Every time something hard comes, you disregard it and say, well, that that can't be it. That can't be God. And your prayer life may be guilty as often you asking for comfort. Whether or not you'd say that out loud, you're asking for that new, better job. You're asking for your problems to be resolved, for these people to just understand how wrong they are. And whether or not we'd ever say it out loud, we're asking God to make us comfortable. Not to change the situation and to make everything good and that his glory would come down and his will be done. No, that we would feel more comfortable, that we'd feel more okay in our situations. But world-changing faith embraces discomfort. And then actually from Jonah, I think there's another thing we can pull out of just these first five verses. And it's this, that world changing faith understands that having faith isn't the same as being faithful. Oh, this one's deep. And I just hope you grasp it. I'm going to explain it a little bit. But if you look at the story of Jonah in these first five verses, he's a literal prophet. Okay, so a prophet is clearly a person of faith. Like, my man is getting words from God and going and doing cool stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be real. Not many of us are doing that. So this dude was clearly a man of deep, deep faith. But in this moment, he was spiritually and physically running from God. Spiritually and physically running from God, even though he was a man of faith. Genuine, authentic, legitimate faith. He's part of the Bible. But in this moment, this moment, a man of faith wasn't faithful. Do we see the distinction? I'm going to explain it a little bit more. But there was a man of faith. So I think most of us in this room would say, I'm a person of faith. I'm here because I believe something. 
But are there moments where our faith and our actions don't line up, where we have faith, but we're not faithful? Let me break that down a little bit further. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith pretty clearly. It says that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. You've probably heard that before, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Okay. If I read that definition of faith, there isn't immediately a lot of action attributed to that. Now, obviously, if we read through the rest of the Bible, the book of James talks about faith without works is dead. We know that, right? So we do understand as believers that there is, of course, actions that come with faith. But in the definition of faith in Hebrews 11, which is the the hall of faith, it doesn't immediately attribute action to faith. It says, be sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see, period. That's what it says. We can't add or take away from that, right? So I think what we can do then is we can kind of delineate the fact that there is a difference between faith and faithfulness. And and here's what it is. The difference between faith and faithfulness is being faithful is when the things our faith claims are fulfilled by our actions. Faith, fulfilled, faithful. When the things our faith claim are fulfilled by our actions. Okay, then, Phil, you got me. I'm interested in this word faithful. What's the difference? Let me read a few scriptures that talk specifically not about faith, but about faithfulness. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says this, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you, yes. Luke 16, 10 says this, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Proverbs 28, 20, A faithful man will abound in blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will go unpunished. And that was like from a 13-second Google search, y'all. There's a lot of verses on faithfulness. What's the moral here? What's the moral here? It's this. While our faithfulness, you need to hear this part, because what I don't want you to do today is leave and feel as if I taught you a uh, works-based faith, that you have to go and do a bunch of stuff. That's not at all what I'm saying. So hear, hear this part, that the faithfulness, our faithfulness in life doesn't dictate our standing with God. Hear that. Your faithfulness does not dictate your standing with God because by grace through faith, you have been saved. It's literally called a gift of God. We're going to get to these. Some of y'all are like, what are gifts for Phil? Talk about the gifts. We'll get there. It's a gift of God by grace through faith. But our faithfulness is the major indicator of how our life here will go. Our faith is the indicator of our eternal life, but our faithfulness, meaning the actions and steps we take towards our faith, that's going to decide a lot of how your life here goes. So when you look at the world in 2020 and it looks the way that it does, and I don't think it looks great, we can probably all yes and amen that. It's an indicator of a lack of faithfulness to God. We just talked about how how many hundreds of millions of people would claim that they have faith. Does America look like it's got faith right now? There's a difference between faith and faithfulness. There's a difference between just believing something and putting feet on it and going and doing it. So let me say the main point again, having faith and being faithful are often not the same. And much of your experience, effectiveness, impactfulness on earth is going to be dependent on how faithful you are to what God says, both in his word, through his spirit and through his people around you. So for you specifically, let me give you a couple examples, maybe in your life 
You've been challenged to do some things by godly people. You've been challenged to step out of certain habits. Maybe you've been challenged to step into certain things. You need good community. You need to be in a servant's role. You need to be leading in this capacity. But you've ignored it over and over and over again. And then what we do is we complain, well, I haven't heard from God in forever. It's like he's not there. No, God spoke through about 30 people. You just didn't listen to any of them. Or maybe another one, maybe you've had this little conscious in your ear, that little cricket, that doesn't exist, it's the Holy Spirit. And he's telling you things like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Like every time you do this certain thing, it itches you. I know this isn't right. I know this isn't right. Or or maybe that thing you should be doing that you've continued to not because you're just being lazy or you're too busy. Out of this room, how many people are too busy? Come on. Everybody in the room is like, I'm too busy. And you just say no time and time and time and time again. Well, then you know what happens. This is, this is rough. The more you ignore that voice, you start to just become completely numb to it. And then you wonder why you feel like you never hear from God. And it's because you ignored him for years. You don't even know what his voice sounds like anymore. Or maybe a last one. You've read things in this book. We talked about the importance of this book. And just frankly, not liked or wanted to follow what it says. I had a, uh, an interaction that in some ways blew my mind. When we launched The Grove, which is our young adult ministry, we had a, like, something like 80 people on the day of launch. And I remember we taught out of 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 2, it talks about the idea of submission. I'm not getting into it, okay, but it says it in there. It talks about the idea of submission. And I had a young man come up to me afterwards, and he's like, I don't like that. That's literally what he said. He's like, I don't like that. And I was like, what, do you want? what don't you like? He's like, I don't think that that is real. Like, I don't think... Like, women are supposed to submit. I don't think we're supposed to submit mutually to each other. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, my bro, you don't have a problem with me. you got a problem with the Bible. Because I just read the pages. I just read what it said. You know what I mean? And I think some of us, sometimes, whether or not we know it, we just don't like what this book has to say. One of my favorite quotes is this. You can never say God is silent while your Bible's closed. You can never say God's silent while your Bible's shut, dusty on a shelf. Because that's the word of God. So what's it for you? What's it for you? That, that's why we come on Sundays. We don't come just to sit in a pew and say we did it and check it off a list. What's it for you that maybe there's areas where you claim faith but aren't walking faithfully? And listen, all of us can say yes and amen because we do this. But there's also a calling to constantly be growing. So what areas, like Jonah, have you just frankly been running from God, not embracing what he has for you, not being faithful to what you know that your faith says? And as we transition into this last point, and I'm really excited about this one because then we get the gifts, y'all. We can look at Jonah for one last time, verses 1 through 5, and then continue through the chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's four, four chapters. It's a short book. Read it for yourself. But it all starts with God going and telling him to preach his faith. It says, go preach to the city of Nineveh. Tell them about your faith. Share your faith. But he doesn't want to. He wants to have his faith without fulfilling the call to share it. It's like he wants the security of faith. Ooh. He wants the security that we think, like, what, what do we call it? We call it the, uh, the hell exemption. Like, well, I just believe in Jesus, so I don't go to hell. I don't really do anything of it, but like, I said I believe, so I don't want to go to hell. It don't really work like that. There's not like a little ticket, you know what I'm saying? There's a book of life, and like, God writes the names in there intentionally. But he wants to have his faith without fulfilling it. He wants the security of faith without the sacrificing of faith. And if we were to fast forward in Jonah, then we see this moment of a lack of faithfulness. But what we do see then as you read forward is he gets swallowed by a giant fish. Y'all, it's not a whale. Never says whale. It's a big fish. I like to believe it's a tuna. Okay. A big old tuna swallowed him. 
gets spit out because he prays. He's like, God, I repent. <laughs> if I was in a tuna, I'd repent too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Get me out of this tuna. But then he goes to Nineveh, shares what he didn't want to and didn't think it would work, and, and frankly didn't like Nineveh or think they deserved it. And the entire city repents because he shared his faith. And the fourth aspect of world-changing faith is that world-changing faith is meant to be shared, not secured. World-changing faith is meant to be shared, not secured. I'm going to break this down to you via a visual. It's Advent time. Um, how many of y'all like Christmas presents? It's okay. Don't be over jesus Do you like Christmas presents? It's okay. Put your hands up. Thank you. I love Christmas presents. Me and my wife have been navigating, you know, with the Advent conspiracy. Anybody convicted by that? I was low-key convicted by that because I like there to just be a ton of presents. They could all be dollar store presents. I don't care. It's not about how nice the gifts are. It's just the presentation of being able to, whoa! How many are for me? Y'all be 68 and still doing that and you know it. You walk out and you're like low-key looking at the labels, but you're trying to act like you're not. You know, Kids are like actually turning over boxes and you're like, oh, that one's for me though. <laughs> you just stay on the recliner. We don't change, we just get lazier. <laughs> I love Christmas. But faith is meant to be shared, not secured. So what does that mean? I think with the idea in Ephesians 2.8 where it says that faith is a gift from God that none of us can boast. It's a gift from God. Well, what we do is we receive it, maybe for the first time, and we just have this seed of faith, this, this little box of faith. And our instinct, I think, sometimes is to say, this is mine. This is my faith. <laughs> Y'all, I'm saved. <laughs> I believe in God. I'm going to heaven now. Hey, and we have it and we want to hold on to it. And I think what happens when we try to hold on to it is then it doesn't have a chance to grow the way that it's supposed to. And more specifically, we were never meant to hold on to this, but we want to. Because it says it's a gift from God. If it's a gift from God, then that also means the gift is available to other people. And the Bible is super, super clear. Galatians 1.24 and a whole bunch of other places that people can know God because of us. It literally says those exact words. And we hold on to this little box of faith. And maybe some of the reasons are, well, I can't share this. I don't know enough. Anybody ever said that or thought that? I don't know enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm so new to this. Like, I'm just fresh into it. And we just, whether or not we know we're securing our faith when, when God, I think, is whispering things like this. He's saying, no, 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 no. This faith right here, it might not be a lot, but faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. So you need to go share what little you know. And we take the faith that we're trying to secure and we pass it off. And we give the gift of faith to someone else through what we've experienced, no matter how little it may be. And then because we gave it away and we shared it, it actually grows. Because we get a little more confident in our faith. We say, well, that was really good. Holy moly, like my brother over there is growing with me now. Like I was able to share some of my faith. And now he's growing in faith. And all of a sudden yours... You just, you, you grow a little bit. You're excited. You start to know more. You start to get into the Bible a little bit. And well, then you kind of hit the next hiccup and you say, okay, well, I'm out of that newbie phase and my faith has grown and I'm really excited about it. I'm doing new things and experiencing new things, but like, ah, I want to hold on to this one because dude, what would my friends think? Like I felt what it's like to share my faith now, but what would my coworkers think if I started talking about Jesus at work? That's too much. That's too hard. They might think I'm a nerd, which we are, family. We are a bunch of nerds. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
and we hold it. And I don't want to give this away, man. That's too, too much. Like, like, but then God says, well, but wait a second. I do it for you. Like, you don't need to know all the right answers. And honestly, even if they judged you, who cared? They judged Jesus. And we say, okay, I think that I need to share this with a brother or sister. And then we share faith for a second time and we see it growing and we're more and more excited. Well, guess what happens next? It got bigger. <laughs> what we thought we gave away came, came back tenfold. What did the Bible say? We literally read First Samuel. It says that abundance is given to the faithful. Well, then we get to whatever the next thing may be for us. And we've shared with a few friends and coworkers and we, we're growing in our faith and we're so excited. But we hit that next. I don't know. I think I'm good here. I've grown in faith more than a lot of people around me. I should stop. I need to just hold on to this. And we start to think about doubts because now we're thinking, well, maybe I should serve in church. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I hated people in church. Now I'm thinking about being a greeter. Oh my gosh, those people are terrible. They're so happy. And whatever it may be for you, maybe God's called you into a new season of, of leadership or understanding, or, but it's hard and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable so we kind of hold on to the faith that I don't want to grow to the next level. But then we're reminded of what God did last time we shared our faith. Last time we stepped into discomfort. And here's the thing, we've got even more to offer now. How exciting is that? So I take this big old box and I go and say, well, this sister right here might need it. And I'm just so like lit on life at this point. Anybody ever felt that? Like you're, you share your faith and you're just so excited because it went excellently. Well, then what did he do? I thought it was hard and uncomfortable and I grow more. He brings me to more and more faith. Like I'm at the point now where I'm serving and I'm leading as recently as a year ago. I didn't even want to talk to anybody about God because I thought I didn't know anything. And as I just let it go, as I just shared my faith, cause it's meant to be shared. It was always meant to be shared. All of a sudden here I am. I'm serving. I'm growing. I'm changing other people's lives via my faithfulness. Them seeing what I'm doing. Well, then I get even to this and, and this is where, I really want to hold on to it though. Because the minute you get here, God starts to look at really hard circumstances in your life and say, hey, that's yours to step into. Those really, really hard people that you were like, <laughs> nope, never. Yep, you're in that season now. You're in a season of grown and increased faith. You've learned so much. You've stepped out of your comfort zone so many times that you're there now and, oh no, but do you know how difficult those people are? How can I talk? Like, she'll bite my head off the minute I say a word. <laughs> You know, I said she intentionally. Ooh, hallelujah. And we start to release it. And we're like, no, look what Jesus went through in his faith. Like, look what Jesus went through. That was the hardest thing you could have possibly ever done. So I start to release and I say, I'm going to share it even if it's hard. I'm going to share it in all the hardest situations. I'm going to bring it to the far extremities of the world, a.k.a. <laughs> the auditorium. That's for you. And we just see the beauty of the truth that faith was never meant to be held onto. It was meant to be shared every single time. So I don't know about you, but do we understand that world-changing faith is meant to be shared? Where maybe are we just holding on to something? Who are those people in your life that you've been convicted to talk to about your faith 30 times? Y'all, I got them right now. There's one specifically that just popped in my brain and I'm mad at God about it. Cause now I gotta go talk to him. It really just happened. Now I'm like shook, dude. Now I gotta take a second. Just no, Lord, <laughs> take it back. What's it for you? 
Are you sharing your faith in a way that it's changing the absolute world? Because guess what? There's a lot of news nowadays. You can turn on a bunch of different channels telling you a whole bunch of different things, but can I tell you there's only one set of good news that does anything for anybody? And that's the good news of Jesus. And that's the, the news that we need to be sharing with people. I, I don't challenge you to not secure it, to make you feel bad or to make you uncomfortable, to make you, maybe, actually I do want to make you uncomfortable, but to make you feel insecure about what you've done or haven't done. But maybe today is the day that you have to leave this room and there's somebody you've got to share that faith with. There's a person you've been forsaking over and over and over. There's a situation you've been avoiding because it's uncomfortable. But if you would just shed a little bit of light into it, show a little bit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, because God's spirit is in you. It would change the situation. And when we change a lot of situations that way, the world changes. That's what world-changing faith does. It willingly and excitedly offers the gift that we've freely received. How dare us hold on to a gift we paid nothing to get. So today, I want us to leave this room with the same... I don't want us to leave this room with the same faith that we walked in with, I want us to leave, first and foremost, more tightly knitted to the Bible, realizing it is 100% inseparable from the extent and growth of faith God wants us to have. I want us to leave today embracing discomfort in your faith, not running from it, because often through discomfort is how we're going to see God the most clearly. I want us to leave looking for our faith to be fulfilled through our actions so we can with integrity not only say we are people of faith, but faithful people. And then lastly, I want us to leave today with a fresh fire to share the gift of our faith because we understand that true faith changes the world. So in a world that is weary, we can be people who rejoice. Would you guys pray with me? God, you are so good right now. We just rejoice knowing how good you are. Knowing that your plans and purposes are perfect. And even in 2020, we can hold to the truth that you are working all things for good. Lord, would you help us to love your word? I, that's something we need to pray more, God. Would you help us, Lord, to love your word? Would you help us to embrace discomfort, to realize that so often it's when we are the weakest that you are the strongest. So we should never run from discomfort or weakness. Lord, would you help us to be faithful people, not just be people of faith? Would our actions fulfill what our faith claims? Because when we do that, the world sees it. So then would you lastly help us, God, to be people who share our faith, not secure it? Forgive us, God. Forgive me for the areas that I've secured and held on and hid my faith because of my own insecurities, my own shortcomings, my own failings. It's all about you. You gave the gift to us freely. Would we just that, that much more offer it freely to other people? I pray right now you would lay on every heart in this room that person that they need to share their faith with that situation that they need to step into that they've been avoiding, that hard thing or person that they've just been completely running from God, give them the boldness and the courage to share faith because faith will change the world. We thank you for the family of grace that you have here, God. We love you and we're trusting you for all these things as we leave today knowing that church doesn't stop on a Sunday. Church is an everyday thing. We are the church. 
So would the church leave today with this truth and go make a difference in a world that vastly needs it? We love you, Jesus. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Grace, we love you guys. We are so happy that you came to join us today. If you're online, we love y'all. We hope to see you soon. Uh, But go out in peace, in love, and in faith and have a great rest of your day. Love y'all. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.